Today on Behind the Headlines, we are joined by Sam Dodge. He is higher education reporter out of the Ann Arbor News, and we're talking about the University of Michigan, COVID, and all things happening in the world of higher ed in the state of Michigan. As I said, our guest today, Sam Dodge, and as always, the one, the only, and he looks sort of tan today, even though you can't see him. John Heiner, how are you, my friend? Eric Culkin, I think that's windburn. So <laughs> well, it looks the windburn looks good on you. I don't think it's tan. <laughs> also, we're getting to the end of January. I can't even remember the last time I saw you in the same virtual room. So uh, happy 2022. It's good to be back here, my friend. You as well, my friend. So no shortage of uh, great topics to cover um, lately uh, in Michigan, around Michigan and in MLive Beats. And one of the ones that's really been popping the most, um, and if you want to go back to December too, um, we had a lot going on with the University of Michigan. And then not just on the gridiron, uh, some of the biggest stories aren't about Harbaugh, although I guess we can always touch on that too, because he's fun. But uh, today we have us joining from the Ann Arbor News, a higher education reporter, um, and uh, all-around great reporter, Sam Dodge. Welcome, Sam Dodge, behind the headlines. Well, thanks. It's very kind. Uh, yeah, it's been a very, very busy couple of weeks, so happy to be talking about a, a smorgasbord of Michigan things with you. So let's go high level here and not make our listeners wait. Just just hit the top couple things that you've been uh, been kept you jumping now for the last couple months uh, concerning covering University of Michigan. Well, I mean, last couple of months, uh, you go two months ago, uh, COVID-19 has always been a big issue on campus. So that's that's always been an issue. But really, the last couple of weeks has been, you know, sure people have seen it. Mark Schlissel, um, you know, being fired, removed for cause because he had an inappropriate relationship with a subordinate. That would be the president. Uh, then, that's the president of the university. Yep. Uh, president Mark Schlissel, um, he introduced a rule in July uh, that said no inappropriate relationships with a subordinate. Uh, within a few months, uh, he was removed for cause breaking that very same rule. Uh, so uh, that launched a firestorm of stuff. And then four days later, Michigan uh, has been in litigation for two years over uh, the sexual abuse of uh, 1,050 uh, victims of uh, the late Dr. Robert Anderson's sex abuse. And four days after Schlissel was fired for cause, Michigan officially settled for that for $490 million. So uh, between, you know, kind of the Schlissel stuff and the Anderson stuff, and then COVID is hitting record highs at Michigan. That's that's three, you know, boom, boom, boom things that uh, have, you know, kept that uh kept that university in Ann Arbor very, very busy from a reporter's perspective. Yeah, if anybody wants to do a quick catch up, uh, you know, hit pause on the podcast, go over to Google, put in Sam Dodge M Live and uh, hit the top link that has his M Live uh, topic page with all his stories. It's pretty astounding how much you've had to write. Um, it, COVID almost took a back seat, wouldn't you say, to some of these major stories? It really has. Um, I mean, I, I don't want it uh, understated. I mean, Michigan right now, this last week, four times its previous record uh, for high COVID cases in a week. I remember there was a surge of uh, 410 in October, uh, 410 total cases around the campus in October 2020. And uh, not last week, but the previous reporting week was 1,800 cases. And then this week, preliminary data has around 1,200. So it seems like the Omicron variant's going down. But it, 
I mean, COVID took a back seat. People really cared about the Schlissel and Anderson stuff, but it, it's been an issue really coming out of the gates. Um, that's, uh, you know, maybe going to be overshadowed by this stuff as, you know, the variants start going down, infections start going down. But yeah, it's definitely been a been an issue on campus. Yeah, before we leave COVID, what is the status as we speak um, on in-person versus virtual and so forth, number one? And number two, because this has been a running theme since COVID started at the university is pushback from graduate assistants, faculty about uh, in-person learning versus virtual. What's the, what's the status right now on campus, University of Michigan as it re regards to virtual versus in-person? Well, it's, it's in-person. Um, you know, the, the university uh, provost, Collins, Susan Collins, uh, sent an email on January 5th saying there's no reason for us to go remote. Um, you know, we're, we're all vaccinated. Michigan students and faculty are both 98% fully vaccinated. They have an extra requirement to be uh, get their booster shots by February 4th. There's potential discipline if they don't follow that. Um, but it seems like Michigan's been a pretty pro-vaccine uh, institution uh, regarding that. Um, and yeah, the, the faculty Senate um, and the faculty, they proposed something called an e-pivot uh, to virtual, just saying, let's let's go virtual for a couple couple weeks and, you know, allow teachers the flexibility to go virtual. While that hasn't really been endorsed by the university, you know, the sentiment of just, hey, if you're sick, if you can't, you know, go in person, there's a lot of flexibility and amenability to going virtual for people. So while the university official policy is in person and they're definitely not telling people to go virtual, there's a lot of flexibility for it. So, you know, it's kind of a, best, not best of both worlds, but there's kind of a two sides to that answer. Yeah, one thing I find interesting as these debates happen, and not just at Michigan, my daughter goes to Michigan State, they just had a three week period of back to virtual. Mm -hmm. um, all these discussions about what's the right thing to do with classroom environment is we have sporting events and other uh, events that are happening that, you know, with, with full attendance. Um, I, I do know some colleges or even high schools in our area have restrictions on how many fans can come to games and so forth. But we just saw that, you know, uh, NFL playoff weekend, we saw the national college football game stands full. So we're, we're kind of at this dichotomy right now. You know, it's it, certain institutions are talking about, virtual this, in-person that, uh, restrictions, limits, but out in society, we're, you know, boom, everybody's just congregating. So um, an extra note on that, Michigan has a vaccine mandate if you want to go to a game in person. If you want to go to Michigan basketball, I want to go to Chrysler Center, um, and you have to show proof of vaccination. Um, so, I mean, that, that kind of stuff, you, you, you look at Michigan tickets right now, uh, for basketball. Part of this might be the basketball team, you know, kind of scuffling a little bit at 97, mm -hmm. but those tickets are $4 right now. I think there's uh, some people that don't want to take those extra steps to prove that they can go to, you know, a, your regular Wednesday night basketball game. So yeah, that's, right. that's definitely a thing at Michigan too. Right. Um, just you personally, before we want to go back, we're going to dig in on a couple of those big issue stories, but uh, reporting on the university, you know, how much do you do on campus? How much are they having regents meetings that you can attend or how much of that's virtual from a journalist point of view? Uh, I would say about 60%, two thirds of what I do is virtual. Um, 
you know, there's, there's always some meeting that I can attend virtually, uh, regarding regents meetings. Those have been in person since the fall. Uh, you know, they're at the local golf, uh, golf course clubhouse for university of Michigan. So I go there once a month or whenever they're having them. And I go that, that in person. Um, a lot of my job in person recently has been polling a lot of students on certain issues around campus. Um, John Vaughn, um, regarding the Anderson stuff, he's uh, one of the prominent victims. He was a former football player who has really taken on the public voice role of the, the settlement movement and uh, the survivor community that is protesting, you know, Sol and the regents about mishandling sex abuse on campus. You know, it's not just Anderson. There's been seven or eight teacher misconduct scandals in the last, you know, five, six years alone. So, you know, going on campus, talk to John Bond. He has a camper right in front of President Schlissel's house or former President Schlissel's house still. So, I, you know, I go on and talk to him and talk to different survivors, talk to students, you know, probably once or twice a week. So, you know, about two thirds, one third virtual and in person. Well, you're doing a remarkable job given the circumstances. Um, and let's go to a remarkable story, which Thanks. is the Schlissel story, um, which facets. One is, of course, what he's did or alleged to have done with a, a, a inappropriate relationship with a, somebody subordinate to him. Um, and, uh, you know, there were a lot of emails that were presented as evidence that he had done this. The other piece of this is hypocrisy. And um, the fact that he had, you know, back in the summer, had been the vocal advocate for this this policy was zero tolerance on inappropriate relationship, um, probably an outgrowth in society of the Me Too movement and everything else. And, and then the twist on it is how the university had responded in general to the Anderson victims um, uh, who had been, uh, you know, saying that they hadn't been heard and there hadn't been justice and had been kind of buried. So there were a lot of facets to that story uh, Tell, to walk me and this this broke on a Saturday a week ago Saturday walk me through um, number one you know jumping onto that story and unpacking all that and then you know number two where this is all going and where the university sits now so first off major shout out to Rose White she was on the uh, weekend uh, beat you know that you know happened on Saturday Saturday night that all this news came out and she you know, she's based out of Grand Rapids, doesn't typically cover this University of Michigan stuff. And she was able to jump on and do the breaking news stuff really, really well without a whole lot of context coming in. So definitely wanted to shout her out. Um, I was watching uh, a scary movie with family uh, <laughs> when this all broke out. And so I sprinted uh, over my computer to uh, go, you know, appraise myself of the situation, um, read the 118 pages of emails. Um, and I think the, the thing that I found really interesting right out the gate was it was very clear that it was a hypocritical, you know, violation of a university policy that Schlissel and the regents implemented over the summer. But that's not the reason reason that the regents actually gave for for firing him. They, you know, I'm, I'm pulling up the quote right now, but um, it, it was essentially for you know moral turpitude and. Um, kind of general, you know, general shame to the university. He impugned the dignity of the university. 
And that was something where I was like, is that going to really, is that really the smartest move to, you know, you have a, you know, a direct policy violation. Um, maybe that's not the best move. But after, after talking to employment lawyers, they, they were really clear, like, in this culture where Michigan has dealt with so many sexual misconduct cases with university professors, their former provost, Martin Filbert, just a few years ago, um, sexual harassment. Uh, three computer science engineering professors, uh, opera teacher David Daniels a few years ago. Uh, the list really goes on and on and on. And so in that environment, Mark Slissel has been handling the, you know, the university's response to all these cases. And for him, in a, even in a consensual or what appears to be a consensual relationship with a subordinate, breaking that rule and breaking that um, breaking that policy and being in charge of all of these responses was just completely untenable for the university to do. So really, I think the really interesting thing was just diving into all those different legal questions and whether or not, I'm sure we're going to get into this, whether or not he's going to be able to even maintain his position as a tenured faculty member on campus, because that that's an little, outstanding question right now. That was a twist, yeah, that we didn't see coming either. It was another, like, it came out in the days after the big news was, Oh yeah, he's a tenured member staff, and everybody knows how college tenure is. We had an interesting. This is a we'll go on a little cul-de-sac here, but the professor at Ferris who had a very uh, flamboyant uh, video that he put out to introduce his course, um, which I yeah, I found highly entertaining. So I think everyone should go watch it. But uh, it, it, it's rated E, by the way, uh, for explicit. <laughs> but uh, the thing is, there was uh, there's a, there's strong elements there of the fact that he's tenured and. He has academic freedom, so I, I don't know if that covers moral turpitude or not. But that's just another interesting facet. And one thing too that I found interesting, and Eric knows how often I talk about transparency and openness and the importance of that for journalists here on behind the headlines. We're always fighting for that, um, but you usually have to fight to get documentation. We usually have to file FOIAs or or whatever. And I thought I'd like you to, to talk about this, Sam, but it's really interesting. The university just went plop, you know, here's 118 emails. And it's almost like they went out of their way. Um, and in others, there was an editorial in a newspaper in the state that accused the regents of trying to embarrass Schlissel. But, if, you know, how much of this was transparency and how much of this was all the theater surrounding the public image and, you know, trying to make their, their public case definitive? You know, it may not be the most exciting answer, but probably a little bit of both. Um, it, it's definitely the worst kept secret in Ann Arbor that nobody really liked Schlissel. Um, you know, he was not a very popular person to many, many, many different corners of the university. And there's been reporting about, you know, that the regents have, you know, really tried to kind of micromanage, you know, Schlissel to doing a better job because they didn't want to fire him for cause because they don't want to you know, or fire him without cause, so they would have to pay him. Um, so, I mean, there's there's been some stuff about that, out there about that. I think really, um, it's really, I mean, I was smiling when you were talking about FOIA requests, because I have so many open FOIA requests that just get delayed and delayed and delayed at the University of Michigan. And then we're talking about them dumping these emails. I, it's indicative that they really, you know, while the, I think they understood the gravity of the situation and they wanted to respond to it in a way that they could sell as responsible in this climate. 
you look at Jordan Acker, he's the board of regent chair. Um, he's, you know, he's defended survivors of sex assault, sex abuse in the past before he was a regent. You know, he's a lawyer by training. So I think he has a certain sensitivity to these issues. And so he knows how to kind of sell it from a PR perspective. That might be not giving him credit from maybe a genuine attempt to, you know, to respond correctly and, and ethically. Um, but definitely, you know, the relationship with Schlissel being an issue, um, the the easiness to kind of embarrass Schlissel because, I mean, you talk to students, you talk to faculty, they really enjoyed, they quite enjoyed the last couple of weeks of embarrassment of Mark Schlissel. So the, the U of M community found it, you know, a kind of a fun development for them just for humor purposes. Um, yeah, but he, then, he, because it's 2022 and this is the world we live in, he became a meme overnight. There was a BuzzFeed quiz, which 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 awkward uh, dating come on are you oh, oh yeah you know all this stuff uh it, it, people seem to take a little bit of delight in that to your point yeah i mean it, i you know just real brief aside about it um you know tried to talk to students about it and i talked to about 20 25 students um and like one or two were really upset about it a couple didn't really want to talk about it but a ton wanted to laugh about it they wanted to talk about their favorite meme. They wanted to talk about, you know, the picture of, uh, you know, there's one email where Schlissel says only and then M underneath. And there's a picture of him sitting, you know, by himself on campus. And then they put lonely M. Someone spray painted lonely M on the Michigan Diag M. So people really had a lot of fun with this. So to kind of getting back to the whole Regent response, I think they knew that they had a pretty clear case they could embarrass Schlissel and most people wouldn't get very mad. And also in this climate, it was to their benefit to, you know, really come down hard on this stuff in a really, at least by all appearances, a transparent way. So quick question to follow all that up. I mean, can you really, how tarnished is the image of the, of the big block M? Uh, it, it, I mean, it, it's a huge operation with a huge brand and is this just a bump in the road for them? I mean, they brought back former president to get some stability and keep moving. But, but, but from that standpoint, will this be yesterday's news soon and we just move on? Um, I, I think there will be some follow-ups. Um, there's a federal court case that's going to that's going to you know they're they're looking to implement some uh, some institutional changes at Michigan regarding some rules. Um, you know, I'm not really at liberty to say you know get into specifics on what that you know, what those changes would be. But basically, there are further uh, steps that are going to impose changes at Michigan. Michigan does not like to be told what to do. So in that respect, that's not going to look good on them. Um, but regarding Mary Sue Coleman, um, that's kind of a great, it's a great temporary hire for them because at the end of the day, Michigan cares about the bottom line. And Mary Sue Coleman and Mark Schlissel, to their credit, have grown the endowment of the University of Michigan at the University of Michigan to one of the highest in the entire country out of any you know university. So that's really what they care about. And if that thing's not fallen, then they're going to be fine. They're fine with people suing them. They're fine with people kind of you know you know scrapping with them you know in the public in the public sphere. You're listening to Behind the Headlines M Live podcast. I'm your co-host, John Heiner, VP of Content for MLive. I'm here with Eric Culcran, my co-host and producer. And today's guest is Sam Dodge, who covers higher education, specifically University of Michigan for the Ann Arbor News. And 
Sam's had a, a very busy couple of weeks covering the university. Uh, we just got done talking about the situation with the firing of President Mark Schlissel. But the other big story, and we, I want to get into this before we wrap up today, Sam, is uh, the end of, and is it, is it even the end of the road, uh, the settlement for the Dr. Anderson sex abuse uh, cases from the 80s and 90s with more than 1,000 uh, verified victims of sex abuse and a $490 million settlement. Um, does this resolve all claims? Does this close the chapter? But there's also some legacy question issues uh, at the university about both Schembechler and some other things. So where does this stand and, and what do you think comes next? Uh, and how, how much of this is laid to rest now? Well, um, regarding the, the lawsuit, the, the literal legal question, um, these were all the defendants in federal court, 1,050 defendants, or not defendants, uh, plaintiffs, that, that settled. That, that legal question and the settlement, that's done. Uh, that's 460 million divided in between them. Um, and then there's 30 million in reserve uh, for future claims. So, you know, I, I get emails all the time about, you know, people saying, how do I, you know, report this? You know, how do I, you know, move forward with, um, you know, I was, I'm a victim of Anderson. I mean, we're talking about 1,200 reported uh, instances of sex abuse by the guy uh, between 2020 and 2021. That's how many people came forward after all these years. To, to report this stuff. So I, I think the university is still going to have some financial liability, but that was part of the settlement. Um, so that, you know, that, that question is probably going to be fairly settled. Um, I brought up the federal court case um, from the other side saying that they're going to try to implement some reforms of the university to further hold them accountable for different sex abuse and sexual violence issues. They have some really you know, kind of leading experts in the sexual violence uh, prevention field that are on the plaintiff side of that, that, you know, I, I think are going to really try to impose some serious stuff uh, for the university to follow. I, I think regarding John Vaughn, I think that's kind of the, the way to follow the rest of this. Uh, John Vaughn has been a very prominent uh, figure in this whole thing. Former um, Michigan football player. Yep. He's a former Michigan football player. He, um, you know, he's, he's, been on HBO Real Sports. He's been on ESPN. He's he's been a really national you know national figure during this, um, and I expect he's going to run for regent. He says he he wants to run for regent. So um, if he's serious about that, that's going to be a campaign where he's going to be constantly railing against the university um, and constantly railing against the current board of regents. So you know I, I expect that to keep going forward. I expect him to keep making television appearances and. Um, but so, so like the pub, the publicity side of things, I expect to continue down the road and we'll just see, you know, if the public really is, is ready for more, uh, if John Vaughn continues to move forward. Well, we saw this around the time of the hot game, someone spray painted or de uh, defaced the statue of Bull Schembechler, mm -hmm. kind of like Bull knew, uh, Bull Schembechler's dead, Anderson's dead. Um, you know, how much does that lose steam or it? Does it even matter uh, anymore? And it, like that Joe Paterno sort of way. Yeah, I think if you talk to survivors, you know, there's Richard Goldman, there's John Vaughn, there's Chuck Christian. There's a lot of, uh, you know, Richard Goldman was a former announcer and he was asked at one of the first uh, survivor rallies, you know, should we remove Bo's statue? And he's like, I'm not really concerned about Bo. If you talk to John Vaughn and Chuck Christian, they're like, yeah, Bo knew, but like the whole statue thing, I don't really want to get into that. So even like the main people that are angry at the university 
aren't super focused on the statue. And if the university isn't going to have a huge amount of uh, public backlash on it, they're, they're probably just going to let it be and just continue to, to ignore it. If you, I've tried to talk to football players, current football players about the issue, and they're on a, a strict, we're not talking about it. We, we don't talk Anderson. We don't talk any anything about these issues. So I think the university is just content to just kind of move on as long as the public is is not super focused on it. Mm -hmm. Okay, last couple minutes I want to spend on uh, one of our favorite iconic Michigan men, Jim Harbaugh. And football fans might be wringing their hands over the, the notion that he's going to go to you know the NFL at Las Vegas or wherever. But institutionally, when you have a – a football coach of that stature that you pay that amount of money what would it mean institutionally uh if he left and i'm not talking about the product on the field but it's you know the athletic department is, is supported by the football budget and and he has been the face of really michigan athletics now for seven years what would it mean to the institution i mean it'd be a massive uh you know public image and a public figure leaving. I mean, he's been a cash cow for the university in terms of merchandising, in terms of, um, you know, kind of public perception. I mean, how, how many times do you click Harbaugh on Google search and you see something? Mm -hmm. I mean, he's, he's an absolute attention grabber for the university. And so it'd be a massive loss uh, regarding that stuff. Um, one thing that I found particularly interesting though is um, in, we've talked about Michigan regarding other issues being a very financial bottom line university. And the, you know, Jim Harbaugh, we can argue about results on the field, um, you know, being kind of underwhelming before last year, people were talking about like he was one of the highest paid coaches in college football until Michigan's financial bottom line was affected uh, because of COVID. They were in a $60 million, $80 million loss regarding the athletic department when he came up to an extension year. And Michigan renegotiated his contract down to be one of the middle, one of the lowest paid coaches in the Big Ten. Uh, so I think regarding again, um, what, what I think that speaks to this issue is as long as Jim Harbaugh is generating financial revenue for the university, they are going to throw as much money as possible because he's an absolute cash cow. Mm -hmm. um, they, are, they only are forced to act when their bottom line is affected. Well, appreciate that insight. Um, it's always fun when they have to go uh, have the debate about finding a Mich Michigan man or not to be the next head coach. So, uh, and the thing I think your comments show too, is it's not always just a sports story. Uh, we're talking about a, a major, major, um, you know, business operation that's being run. Um, and it's, you know, 40% of the land area of Ann Arbor is the University of Michigan. So it, it's a big, big story in Ann Arbor. It's a big story in the state. And I'm glad we have you on it, Sam. Thanks for joining us today on Behind the Headlines and may you live in interesting times. Thanks, John. This is fun. And there they go. Big thanks to Sam for joining us. And as always, if you like what we're doing, like, comment, and share wherever you get your podcast. Till next time, he is John Heiner. I am Eric Hulkren. And this is Behind the Headlines.